Welcome to our live coverage from Los Angeles, California of Super Bowl 56 Media Week, a production of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz. Good evening and welcome in from beautiful and sunny Los Angeles, California, as we will kick off our Super Bowl Media Week coverage. My name is Carter Raymond, the production director at WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, and just wanted to give you a look at what is coming tonight and down the week as we will kick off our night of shows. From 6 to 7, we will have the Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nate Solomon. They will kick us off. Following them, from 7 to 8, the Nightly Buzz with Nick Roloff and Tom Seip, and from 8 to 9, the Wild Card featuring myself, um, everyone else out here and a few rotating guests that we will figure out as the day goes on. Of course, we will have today and five more days of shows coming the rest of the week. Um, and it will be, you know, more than just Super Bowl coverage. We will be covering all sports, you know. Uh, we have plenty of interviews. We are working on that. That is why we are here. And we are really excited to share that with you and our listeners. So stay tuned and we are excited for our coverage. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to The Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon, live from the LA Convention Center in Los Angeles, California. This is the Director's Cut live from Los Angeles, California at the LA Convention Center Super Bowl Media Week Radio Row. Tyler Smith alongside Nathan Solomon here. We arrived on Saturday evening. Now we're here, day one, Radio Row. Nate, how does it feel to be here? Oh, man, it's it's, it's incredible being here. I mean, the warm weather, the the people here, it's it, it's amazing. I mean, we had a, we had a great day yesterday, uh, kind of seeing the city and everything. But today, it's down to business, ready to uh, knock off some interviews and, and have a great ra- Great week here on uh, on Radio L. Absolutely, you know we got in on Saturday, had a great time. D- didn't really get to do much uh, on, on Saturday, but yesterday was our real uh, branch out. Kind of WSBU kind of took over LA uh, yesterday. You, know, you went to uh, the Bush Clash uh, NASCAR race. Uh, how was that? It was awesome. I mean, it, it was super cool to be able to see uh, uh, all the cars, uh, a new type of car on the on the quarter mile track there in the inside the LA Coliseum. Uh, something that's never really been done in NASCAR before, so it was cool to be part of history. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, you know Nathan Solomon, our resident NASCAR insider here at WSPU. And uh, later in the day, we had uh, Nate had two trips. We had a, a, a nice big one at, at 
Staples Center, a.k.a. now Crypto.com Arena, caught a little bit of the Clippers-Bucks game. Uh, that was a lot of fun. We had a great time, great atmosphere there. Uh, some of our first uh, NBA games joining us also. Uh, my first. Yep, joining uh, Nate, Nate's first. My, I've been to a few of my time. But uh, also joining us this week is Carter Raymond, pr uh, production director, Nick Roloff, uh, former sports director, and Tom Sipe, station manager. So we're all very happy and honored uh, to be here um, at Radio Row this week. So... Looking ahead, we have a lot to talk about, a lot of interviews to be done, but there is something that's the reason that we're all here. It's the big game. It's Super Bowl 56. It's the Bengals and the Rams. And each day uh, this week, you know, prior to our interview segments, we will be breaking down a different aspect of the big game. Now, today, I think that there's only one good place that we can start. It's going to be a positional group type thing. Um, or we're going to look at the matchups because I think it, there is a glaring um, matchup here between the wide receivers and the cornerbacks of each team. I mean, the trio of, of pass catchers that each quarterback has the opportunity to be throwing to are second to none uh, as far as the NFL playoffs come along. I mean, Matt Stafford got in, has Cooper Cup with an all-time receiving season, second in receptions, touchdowns, and yards, all-time in a single season, uh, obviously adding Odell Beckham. Uh, around the time that Robert Woods tore his ACL and was out for the season. So, I mean, a plug-and-play opportunity there for the Rams, and it was a no-brainer uh, to, to pry him away from the Browns. Uh, and obviously, another deep threat in, in Van Jefferson uh, has been a real big young stud for this Rams team as well. And if you look at the other side, the Bengals possessing that unbelievable trio of T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd, I mean, these guys have been, you, know, you, you, you combine youth with veteran leadership in Boyd, and you, you have a really complete uh, group of wide receivers. And obviously, uh, C.J. Uzama at, at tight end and Tyler Higby at, at tight end for, for the Rams will be two uh, vital pass catchers as well here. So, Nate, talk about which receiving core you think has the edge uh, to kick things off for uh, Super Bowl Media Radio Row. Yeah, I think, I think the Rams have... Uh, a pretty obvious advantage, but the Bengals, when, when you look at them, I think they have one of the most underrated receiving cores in the league, and and it's something that's that's definitely not talked about uh, enough, in in my opinion. I mean, you know, of course, Jamar Chase, you know, he's you know he he's their number one, even though, you know, rookie year, incredible year, already a top ten wide receiver in the league. I mean, he's gonna be, you know, such a stud down down the road, and you know, five years from now, he he could arguably be the likely be the best, uh, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, and then you look at T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, I mean, they complement each other just so well. Um, and, and, and like you said, that that's kind of three main receiving threats right there. C.J. Uzama, um, you know, he's questionable right now on the injury report, but uh, he, he's very valuable in there. And then, of course, Joe Mixon can kind of do a little bit of everything. But the Rams, they just have that star power that, that the Bengals, or more star power, rather. I mean, like I said, I mean, J Jamar Chase, um, one of the best wide receivers in the league already, but um, something that we t talked about a lot last week with between Cooper Cup and, and Odell Beckham Jr., two guys that um, are, are both arguably wide receiver ones, and if you put too much pressure on one guy from a defensive standpoint, that that's going to allow the other guy to get open. So if you put two guys on Cooper Cup, then most likely Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be wide open. You know, you look at the NFC Championship game; both guys had well over 100 yards. Like, you know, there's just nothing that a, a defense can do to slow them down. And, and the Bengals, they, they statistically have uh, a middle of the road defense. Mm -hmm. I, so I don't really know how overachieving defense you might say. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a little bit of an overachieving defense for sure. I mean, you know, and this is kind of a debate that we had last night. You know, before we started recording and everything about like. You know, luck in playoffs, mm -hmm. and, and and I think 
you know, there's some luck that goes into this, maybe. But um, the the Rams' two top wide receivers, and you, know, you put someone in there like Van Jefferson, um, the, the, I think they'll be better than, mm-hmm. than than the Bengals' defensive backs. There, there's just so just between those two guys, at least. I mean, th- there's just going to be no way to slow them down. If you and if you double both guys, then you know someone like Van Jefferson is going to be open every time. I so think they could be a real. There's X-Factor. really no way to slow them down. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talk about. The, not being able to slow these guys down. Cooper Cup, I, I, I mentioned him leading in statistical categories, not only this season, but second in single-season history. Um, you look at his playoff stats uh, against the Cardinals. That was kind of a shellacking that they had. Uh, they ended up um, really, really taking care of Kyler Murray, and I think that was on the heels of the defense. They, they got a lot of short field opportunities. So Cup wasn't super involved there, but he did uh, get the touchdown which was, uh, you know, a key, uh, something he's been doing all season long is finding the end zone. But then, you know, the the, the following two weeks, the divisional and the uh, NFC Championship, I mean, 11 targets, 14 targets, 9 catches, 11 catches. The guy is all over the field, and Matt Stafford's looking for him all day. 183 yards, 142 yards. This is going to be key. It seems as if, and we talked about it last week on the director's cut, that Cooper Cup is always seeming to find a hole in the defense. Every time he catches the ball, it seems as if a defender is less than, I mean, more than five feet away from the guy. He always seems like he's alone out there in the defense, and it, maybe that's a, a testament to him because he's been doing it consistently this entire season. I mean, it, and obviously a few years before, but now that he has Stafford, it's been, become a lot more easy, uh, a lot easier for him to find those holes in the defense. But it, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how the Bengals can key in on him because the cornerbacks, like you said, Bengals are an overachieving defense, and Eli Apple has been the guy uh, re- recently for them that's kind of been stepping up been very vocal on social media uh, of his play and, and, and his future play, uh, call, kind of calling out what he's going to be doing and uh, asserting himself uh, as a quote-unquote top cornerback when we know that's not the case. So if he's going to be the guy in Cooper Cup, that's going to be a real test for him. I mean, no bigger test than the guy who, who's dominated and carved up defenses all season long. And then you got to worry about OBJ on the other side. I mean, the guy's a deep threat. He can he can take the ball and run. So he you can he can beat you in a lot of facets as well. And if you don't do that, like you said, X Factor, Van Jefferson, he can beat you over the top, and you do not want that. What I will say is the Cincinnati safeties will probably do their best uh, to eliminate that opportunity. So it's going to be very interesting. But you said that you're leaning toward more towards the Rams' uh, star power on. The, in the receiving core, um, where I'll go though, I, I'll, I'll kind of rebut you. I don't. We don't want. We don't want to agree every day. I and mean, we're having a good time at radio, right? We don't want to agree on everything. And I and I don't. Uh, I I think that this Bengals wide receiving core, top to bottom, can compete and really arguably could be better than this Rams receiving core as well. I mean, OBJ. Uh, obviously, we saw that in Cleveland it didn't work out. In, in in LA, he's basically revitalized his career, which is amazing. But we still. He still has some injury concerns. I mean, he he's not the healthiest receiver all the time. Then you look at you look at the Bengals. They're young. They're capable. Then and they really aren't um, aren't guys who are always wide open like Cooper Cup. They're getting these contested catches. They're 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 evading defenders in space. So they can beat you in a lot of ways as well. And it's something I want to talk about is Tyler Boyd. He hasn't been featured much all through the regular season. These playoffs, he's come for some key third down catches and, you know, when Joe Burrow needs to move the sticks and he has a safety valve, it's going to be Tyler Boyd. He he has the most reliable hands on the team. He's been in big games before and he is just a veteran presence out there. He hasn't been in a Super Bowl before. Nobody on the Bengals has, but he has that veteran ability to be cool, calm, and collected, 
Um, now, I will say Cooper Cup, he, he does have Super Bowl experience, so that, that's going to be something that we have to watch out for. But the combination of Tyler Boyd's ability to sit and, and use these slot routes to, to move the chains on easy, on easy checkdowns, then you have Jamar Chase who can either beat you over the top or catch and run with the football, like an OBJ type, but obviously faster. And then T. Higgins who has that DeAndre Hopkins-like ability to go up and get these contested catches and, and high point the football. Uh, I think that Joe Burrow has so many options. And that's why this Bengals offense has been so successful. And like you said, also, Joe Mixon out of the backfield is uh, another weapon they have as well. He's become he's come a long way as a pass catcher uh, throughout his time in the NFL. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, I definitely agree. I think the Bengals, from top to bottom, you know, they're they're more well balanced. But mm -hmm. and when you look at the Rams, they they have two they have two top guys, and, and that's that's not a diss against you know Van Jefferson and obviously you know Robert Woods is hurt mm -hmm. and is unable to play. But yeah, the the Bengals, you know, they have like five guys that can, that can break out and have a big game just about every day. I mean. Uh, or every game, rather. I mean, it, it allows them to kind of space the field out and 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 balance uh, ba balance the Rams wide or excuse me, ba balance the Rams cornerbacks. And, and we know that they have strong defensive backs. I mean, they have one of the best defenses in the league. So I I, I see what you mean, but uh, with with the Bengals having that that balanced receiving core. But just you know, Cooper Cup, like you mentioned, you know, he's so quick. Nobody can really nobody can stop him. He's so quick. He's so elusive. You can find. Any open space, he can. You know, he's he's the best wide receiver in the league um, in terms of yards after catch. You know, there, there's just no way to slow him down. And, and OBJ, you know, he can go for a deep ball. He can go for a little short route and and make something happen when when nothing's there. So uh, those two guys, still, I, I think that you know they'll, they'll they'll still overpower the the Bengals offense, even though the Bengals have four or five really viable targets. Well, it's going to be really key because you know. Passing is gonna is gonna be a huge part of this game. I, I see there being a good a decent amount of points scored uh, if the Rams um, defense doesn't completely shut out um, the Cincinnati Bengals. But what's gonna be key with so much passing going on is third down efficiency. And the Rams uh, have the best third down efficiency in the playoffs right now. They're converting at a 50% clip right now. But the Bengals are close behind at a 48-7 clip. Um, it's gonna be huge to see. Uh, how these defenses react to third down uh, play calling. And, you know, so far in the playoffs, the Rams' opponents have only converted on 18% of their third down conversions. And on the Bengals' defensive side, 40% of their uh, third down co completions by their opponent have been converted. So it seems like the Rams have the advantage there when it's a necessarily, ne when it's a necessary passing down. So... If, if that opportunity presents itself and there's a lot of third downs in this game, I could see the Rams wide receivers having the overall m bigger impact uh, on this game. So as far as that goes, y you look at these two, receiver these two receiving cores, who's going to be the more reliable one on third down? I think it's the Rams. But I think, like I said before, top to bottom, balance-wise, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, wide receiving core is going to be the one to beat. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but still, I'm you know Cooper Cup and in OBJ, they're uh, they, they, I think right now you could argue that they're the best wide receiver duo in, in the league. You know, like I said, they're I mean they're two number one wide receivers right there, and obviously it didn't work out for him in Cleveland just because they basically used him wrong, and, and just having Cooper Cup there makes him you know a lot better for wide receiver because it allows him to get that space and allows him to get um, allows him to get targets from a, a good quarterback, and that's not a knock against Baker Mayfield. I mean, you could you could argue that Matthew. Yeah, maybe it's a knock against Baker Mayfield. Okay, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, Matthew Stafford's a you know an elite level quarterback, and yep. and, and and Baker Mayfield's not. Like he just he can't make the throws that Matthew Stafford can, and it's just the better situations for OBJ. You know, and and there's a lot of scenarios where him and 
and Cooper can, Cup can get, both get 100 yards each game. So um, I, I don't know. I have no clue how the Bengals are going to be able to, to slow those two down, especially with, with them kind of just having that middle-of-the-road defense. Even though, hey, they were able to slow down Patrick Mahomes in the EFC Championship, um, they're going to have to come up with something, you know, impressive for all four quarters on Sunday. I mean, they played two good quarters of defense and won them the game in overtime. They're going to need to play four solid quarters of defense to slow down Cooper Cup and OBJ on Sunday. Uh, I, I absolutely agree with you. The Rams, I, pr- I, would, I would assume the Rams make less mistakes overall than the Chiefs have this year. I mean, Ms. Stafford, towards the end of the season, did um, have a trend where he was throwing picks uh, pretty much every game down the stretch, but as in, in the playoffs, he's absolutely yeah, picked that, it up. Yeah, that decision-making has gotten a lot better the last, oh, the last three weeks. And when it comes down to quarterback play, and, and we'll preview that more in a different day, I mean, it all comes down to decision-making, you know, just making sure that, you know, you take what's given, you don't force things, and that's what happened with Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. He forced some passes, um, threw a deep pass and double coverage there in overtime, and it ended up uh, for a Bengals victory. So uh, if both quarterbacks take what's given, then, I mean, it's – you know, it could be it could be a very even matchup on uh, in in the Super Bowl. Well, I think we need to you know before along with these wide receivers, we need to be talking about who they'll be matching up against. And I mentioned Eli Apple before about all all, all the words he's been saying on social media and to the press uh, about you know what kind of player he is and what what he what he thinks he's going to do in the Super Bowl so listen confidence is key but your play on the field is going to dictate what those words uh, if those words are really true or not uh, on the other side though it's going to be really interesting to see where Jalen Ramsey lines up for most of this game is he going to shadow Jamar Chase is he going to shadow T Higgins is he going to take one side of the field and play zone most of the time that's going to be a deciding factor on what Joe Burrow does with the football and where he targets his receivers. Because I can't imagine that Jalen Ramsey will be targeted too many times on Sunday. I feel like if I were the Rams, I mean, I'd put Jalen Ramsey on Jamar Chase just about every time. Okay. I mean, because that's your number one right there for the Bengals. If you take away your number one, then, I mean, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are both, you know, right receiver twos, basically. But... You know, in in a lot of situations, a wide, there's a reason why someone's wide receiver two is because they can't make wide receiver one plays. They can't, you know, bust down the field, you know, 50 yards wide open and make and catch a, a 50 yard throw. So I, I think that if they take away Jamar Chase, they're, they're probably their biggest deep threat for the Bengals. Um, you know, then then it forces uh, Joe Burrow to have to get a little bit creative with with how he throws the ball. You know, whether it's you know 15 yard out routes or you know dump offs to Joe Mixon. I think that that'll make that's step number one to to making Joe Burrow make bad decisions. Uh, I absolutely agree, and you know you can't knock the rest of the Rams secondary uh, away either. I mean, Jalen Ramsey is a massive factor. He essentially eliminates an entire half of the football field, um, especially on the outside. But you can't forget about guys like Darius Williams, who has had a really solid season guarding wide receiver twos, and even the, even their safeties up top. Taylor Rapp is is a great great uh, you know. Eliminator of the deep ball, and then you know you you, you resign Eric Weddle coming out of retirement. Guy played like 60 snaps last week. Uh, it, it, it was really unbelievable to see him just return to form. And after Super Bowl, he's going back to retirement. Yep, exactly. <laughs> he he just he's gonna he's gonna win this game and get out. Well, we don't know exactly who's gonna win the game yet, but Eric Weddle certainly has that plan of uh, taking home a ring and getting right out right right back to where he was uh, just just about a month ago. Um, if we if we look at you know the rest of this receiving core if there's any guys who you know potentially could break out in a Super Bowl you know we have those guys who who are just you know under the radar not talked about and potentially they they have a, a really solid game if you if you look think back to Seattle I, I, and I hate to talk about my Seahawks but if you look back to Seattle in 2014 you know Chris Matthews um, 
really emerged in the NFC Championship. You know, he recovered that key onside kick against the Packers, and then even in the Super Bowl, he had a monster first half against the Patriots. You know, is, is there any guys uh, on either depth chart do you th that you think could really make an impact in the Super Bowl that we haven't really heard much about? Here's the guy that stands out to me. He's on the Rams, Kendall Blanton. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, you know, he's basically serving as their number one tight end right now with some, uh, um, w w with some injuries. Uh, you know, he had a he had a huge game in the, in the NFC Championship game, uh, 57 yards. And, and like I said, when you have someone like Cooper Cup and OBJ, 57 yards right there is all you really need. I mean, it just helps kind of balance the field a little bit. Um, make kind of makes the quarterback. Or, or makes the defense have to have a little extra pressure onto you, and, and maybe it could free something up for um, for someone like uh, Cooper Cup or OBJ, even though they don't even need that much space to to be able to, to break away for a big play. So I think someone like Kendall Blanton, you know, if if he can just kind of have another quiet, unassuming night like he did against San Francisco, you know, pick up 40, 50 yards. Quietly, I mean, qu quietly 40, 50 yards. I think that could really. Set yeah, exactly. Base. I think that could be the game right there. Honestly, I mean, it's you know, it's not always about who's going to make. Um, uh, make make the big plays or have the most yards. It's all about who who does it in a timely fashion. So I think um, if you can ha if you can have another another game similar to to what he had against San Francisco, then th that could be a huge factor for the Rams uh, when winning their Super Bowl. Now I mentioned you know all, all how, how I love the balance in in the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver room, and I think it's safe to say that 95% of Joe Burrow's targets will be to Mixon. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. Actually, yes. Mixon, Chase, Higgins, Boyd, Uzama. I don't think he's going to expand too far off of that group, uh, especially uh, if Uzama's healthy. I mean, guys like Drew Sample uh, have been serviceable in, in their efforts uh, backing up U Uzama, especially when he went down uh, against Kansas City. But I will head back to the Rams, and I guess this is a little bit of a you do know this guy pick, but I mentioned him earlier, and I'll mention him again, Van Jefferson. I think there's going to be a big point in this game where Stafford has a third and long. He's got to make a big play, and I think Van Jefferson is going to find a seam in the defense to have a monster 40-yard catch or 30-yard catch that puts him into a potential field goal range, maybe maybe before the half or something like that. Uh, could be a, a massive key. It could separate this game if it comes down to it at the end. Uh, Van Jefferson has shown all season long that he can burn defenses. He can split safeties and, and get behind them and end up with a, a big gain or uh, obviously an eventual t eventual touchdown and Stafford loves throwing it deep to him so I think that would could be my X factor for this game especially if Cooper Cup isn't as wide open as we've seen him throughout the playoffs in the regular season yeah I agree you know he had some big games earlier this year you know before uh, really up up to the time where uh um, where where OBJ came came onto the Rams, so uh, I, you know he has the potential to break out for a big game. And, and to your point about the Bengals, you know I, I agree. You know they really have those four or five guys. So it, it, you know they have more of the balanced wide receiver core, but they really only have four four or five guys. They don't really have a, a sixth wide receiver that can kind of mm -hmm. come in and and pick up three or four catches for for thirty or forty yards. You know it's really just you know Jamar T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uzama. Joe Mixon. I mean, that's it. You know, three wide receivers, a tight end, and, and a running back. You don't have that wide receiver four that can really um, make that much of an impact. I know they have a couple injuries. Stanley Morgan, uh, Auden Tate. You know, those are those are some of those wide receiver four, wide receiver five guys that could have came in and make an impact. But uh, right now they're on the injury report, so their status is uh, unknown for Sunday. Well, speaking of the injury report, how crazy would it have been for Robert Woods to still be in this lineup? I mean, would they have OBJ? Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I would probably lean more towards yes. If Robert Woods is playing this game, there'd be no doubt 
doubt in my mind that the Rams wide receiver core you know runs laps. Oh, absolutely. Around the Rams Cincinnati. the Rams aren't afraid to spend money. Like, absolutely. They're you know they'll, well. they'll mortgage their future just to spend money now and, and get the stars. So I mean you think about next year. I mean obviously not to try to uh, speak it into existence or rush it too much, but if OBJ resigned after this season, then man they're gonna be tough to stop on offense. Oh my god. As if they as if they weren't tough enough this year, if you add Robert Woods back into this wide receiver room, a healthy Robert Woods. I mean, he was making tons of plays in the weeks leading up to his injury. I mean, as a Robert Woods fantasy owner, I was devastated. Um, but adding him back into the lineup would be massive for this Rams offense. Uh, unfortunately, he can't play in the Super Bowl, but hey, hopefully he, he, he gets a ring uh, if you're a Rams fan. But with that said, um, that's our breakdown of the wide receiver groups uh we're going to be breaking down a new aspect of the game every day leading up to super bowl 56 stay tuned for a second half of our show where we'll be discussing the bonnie's matchup with the fordham rams tomorrow night it's tyler smith and nathan solomon you're listening to director's cut on wsbu 88.3 the buzz On behalf of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, we are proud to announce that we will be attending Super Bowl 56 Media Week in Los Angeles, California. Join us for live programming from the LA Convention Center from February 7th to 11th at 6 p.m. daily as we preview the big game. Are you looking for a delicious frozen treat at the end of a long day? Look no further than Simply Sinful Homemade Ice Cream. Located right next to the Hickey Tavern, Simply Sinful offers a variety of uniquely flavored ice cream, milkshakes, and Italian ice. Additionally, seasonal specials, ice cream nachos, and even alcohol-infused ice cream are featured items. Simply Sinful is constantly updating their menu with new flavors, including the new fall flavor, Caramel Candy Apple, made with caramel vodka, fireball whiskey, and apple cider ice cream. Follow and like them on Instagram and Facebook at Simply Sinful Homemade Ice Cream to track the latest menu updates. Be sure to stop by 100 West Main Street in Allegheny, Wednesday to Thursday from 5 to 8, and Friday to Saturday from 5 to 9. Also, for 10% off your order, Mention you heard this only on WSBU 88.3, The Buzz. You must be 21 or older to consume alcohol. 88.3, welcome back. Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon. It's the Director's Cut on WSBU 88.3, The Buzz. Now, Nate, we just got done discussing the Bengals and Rams matchups in the wide receiver cores and the secondaries, and now we're switching gears to the collegiate hoops side of things. Bonnie's have a big game after a couple... Uh, a rough stretch, I would call it, uh, in Bonnie's basketball. We had high expectations this season, and things are kind of dialing down a little bit. Expectations have kind of ceased to exist for this Bonnie's team this season. Uh, we have a matchup with the Fordham Rams, lower-tier A-10 school tomorrow, but as we've seen in these past few weeks, nobody's safe in the A-10. Any, any team can beat anybody, and tomorrow is a great example of that. It, it, it could be a massive trap for these Bonnies, or it could just be a, a great showing from the Rams. You know, they, they've, under new tutelage, uh, Kyle Neptune, their new head coach, they, they've really been changing the culture uh, from prior administration down in the, in the Bronx. Now, Nate, looking at this matchup, what are you looking for for the Bonnies to pull out a win tomorrow night? 
I mean, just consistent offense from from all five St. Bonaventure starters. I mean, that's been that's been one of the major things missing from this St. Bonaventure squad this year. I mean, last year every single game, you know, Oshun Oshuni, Jalen Attaway, Dominic Welch, Jaron Holmes, Kyle Lofton, every single guy would be in double figures. So that's just not happening this year. These guys are not shooting the ball as well as they have in previous seasons. I mean, Kyle Kyle Lofton's been been struggling a lot really uh, ever since the VCU games. So the really last six games has been he's been a little bit off. I think he. he He's maybe a little bit better against Davidson. Davidson, he had a, he had a, he had a good shot. He had a good game there. Um, Dominic Welch, you know, he, he shot the ball a little bit better the last couple games, but he's still shooting a, a career low from three. Jaron Holmes has really struggled the last um, three or four games, especially after you know starting off the season so strong and, and playing so well during during non-conference play. Um, I mean, Jalen Attaway is willing this team. I mean, I'd say willing this team to victories, but they've lost four of their last six. But he's trying to <laughs> will this team to victories. And, I mean, he, he's been their leading scorer in, in six of their last seven games. I mean, he scored 22 against St. Joe's, 21 against Davidson, uh, 16 in Friday's loss to Richmond, which is just another disappointing showing where, where really he was the only guy that, that showed up again. Uh, and then you can't forget Oshun Oshuni, who's, who's really taken a, a massive step back. And I think you can maybe even argue that this is the worst year of his career. Wow. Well, you know, that's... You know, it sounds like that would be a crazy thing to say in a player's senior year. Four years with the program, and we see regression. And we're seeing it from not only Oshuni, but you know, a, a, a large portion of, of the St. Bonaventure roster. Uh, it's been tough to really pinpoint what's been wrong with this team. Um, Mark Schmidt is known to stick to his guns when it comes to the system that they want to play with. Uh, it, they really don't change up much. Uh, obviously, in a game-by-game -game basis, if you talk about the game against Davidson, they did put full-court pressure on, and, and that, that's what the Bonnies are really going to have to do down the stretch of the season is find uh, and expose the, uh, the other team's weaknesses to really use it to their advantage because you know they only use five guys. So we've talked about it all season long, even last season. This Bonnies team, since 2007, has the lowest percentage of bench minutes, not only the, the least, but the second least, and it's by a good margin as well. Um, the the third-place team is well beyond uh, our bench uh, percentage minutes and it's just not something that's that's been sustainable this season with so many games close by you know last season it would be a week uh, maybe even eight days in between games uh, you know when the Bonnies made, made made their run to the a10 championship but this season you know it, it's 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 much different it's back to a, no a normal ish college basketball season where there's games you know two and three days you know three and six days and, it, and it's uh really been a point of struggle for these bonnies who you know four years a lot of a lot of miles on them already now they're all, all still playing 40 minutes a game so it, it's been really tough uh to see the regression this year and, and uh, honestly when you said oshun oshuni that was definitely a name that came to mind but i really wanted to talk about jaron holmes because of how how strong he did start the season and you know i, I never like to um diss on, on on our basketball team you know because they're our classmates at, at, at the end of the day but you know they did have expectations coming into the season they were 16th in the country at one point after winning the charleston classic now they've fallen all the way out of the tournament picture and you know arguably not even eligible to receive an invite to the nit uh, so i mean this team has holes and they need to fix them and plug them fast if they want to you know continue that same success like they did in last year's a10 championship but for right now it's looking bleak for the Bonnies. Yeah, it's not looking good, and I kind of want to circle back a little bit to, to what you were saying about the bench. I mean, obviously, Quadri Adams is really only playing a few few minutes a game, and 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 I, and I, he's a guy that I think 
is deserving of more minutes. You know. Have you seen the free Quadri campaign? <laughs> I've not. Oh well, there's a there's a Twitter coalition going on right now. Uh, I didn't cha that. Change dot org. There's a, there's a Quadri Adams uh, support page for him to get more minutes. So you know, sign that if you if you think Mark Schmidt will listen to you. Maybe uh maybe I will have to sign that because I think he, he definitely is deserving of more minutes. Because he, listen, I know he's not the best shooter in the world, and he hasn't made a three pointer this year, and he's bricked a lot of free throws. <laughs> but he provides a much-needed spark, especially on the defensive end. He plays with so much intensity. He clogs passing lanes. He gets steals. He, he comes up with stops. And, and, and the Bonnies, they've always been a good transition team. And he can, he can start three-on-two fast breaks. And, and that's where that's where the Bonnies shine, you know. Obviously, Dominic Welch is really good cutting to the hoop. Um, Lofton's one of the best finishers in the A-10, if not the country. Um, Jaron Holmes has the potential to be a great finisher. Like, they have guys that can finish around the rim. Of course, Shun is, is a great dunker. Um... So I love just how much he's able to, to get them in transition, and I think it was the VCU game. I mean, back-to-back -back steals. He right before the half. Yeah, he changed the game right there. Like, that, that swung all the momentum of that game. So I, I know he's not a guy that's going to come in and score 10, 12 points off the bench, but he's the guy that can come in and get a couple big stops and, and, and get that momentum going. Because as we know, defense does win basketball games, and, and Quadri, you know, right in the middle of the season there, I mean, that's kind of when he was having the most impact. And... It, you know, the, again, the Bunnies have a tough stretch coming up. They play five of the next eleven days. You know, hey, just what I said about how games being so close exactly. this year. They have, I mean, one of them's a makeup, of course, the, the St. Louis game on, on Valentine's Day. That one will be um, home at a uh, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time, so 2 p.m. out here. But not that that matters. Um, you know, I, I think they really need to go into to more full court. Full court pressure. I mean, it worked so well against Davidson. You know, it did. It, it, it did. The game. But you know, how long can you really use a full court pressure for? This team's not a VCU where it's straight up havoc the entire time. You know, it, it, they're gonna they're gonna gas out eventually. And you saw that actually toward the end of the Davidson game, where you know they were so close, and then Attaway short arms a free throw, and then you know you, you're down two or three, and and Welch or whoever it was, I think it was yeah, Holmes. Holmes he, throws it out of bounds. But so they I mean, shouldn't have been down that much in the first place. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not. Off that second half with with four straight turnovers. That's the game right there. You lose by five points, that's the game. And Mark Schmidt really stresses how the first five minutes of the second half, he talks about it all the time, and about how the first five minutes of the second half really dictate what's going to happen You know, when the buzzer sounds, because... In this team, in the Davidson game, obviously neglected you know his advice there because they came out flat in the second half. You know they were this team. This team already can't shoot threes uh, well enough. You know they can't defend it either. Yeah, they're 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 not you know they're not Alabama. They're not Virginia Tech shooting shooting threes. Uh, but you know you have to have some sort of safety valve uh, when when you're falling flat in these opening minutes and. I think when you mentioned Quadri Adams, that's going to be a time where he needs to, you know, wake him up a little bit, you know, g get a transition dunk. But, you know, at the same time, as much as a momentum shifter and a spark as he is, he's so athletic and, and it can carve through can carve through defenses when needed. You know, he makes some mistakes on the defensive end, or he he'll have a turnover or or a, or a key foul that puts the team in the bonus, and that just you know that tells Mark Schmidt that you know he's not ready. He he's a uh, as a St. Bonaventure basketball goes, you're not guaranteed minutes ever, uh, unless of course you're the you're in the Ironman Five this year. But you're never guaranteed minutes, especially when you're new to the program. It's a tough system to learn. There's about 45 plays, or excuse me, maybe it's 90 plays, and I might have my numbers wrong, but it's 45 or 90 plays, and you have to know how to run them from each spot and how to run them 
flipped on each side of the court. So that's, you know, could be 180 plays that you have to know coming into a program in your first year, and you know, you, know, you, you can't be expected to pl be plugged in the lineup and know every single set that they're going to run. It's just not not feasible at this point. That's why, you know, a few years ago, guys like Ladarian Griffin, who, who you know, centered that team in, in their NCAA tournament run, tournament run in 2018, he didn't play until he was a junior. He was so raw and underdeveloped uh, coming into St. Bonaventure, didn't know the plays, wasn't attentive, made mistakes, that he didn't get any minutes until he became a junior. So for a guy like Quadri, coming from an ACC school, you know, you, you think he'd pick it up a little bit faster, and he, he probably has. He, he's, gotten, you know, he's gotten on the court. He's played double-digit minutes in some scenarios. But for now, if he's going to make a mistake, like a turnover and a foul back-to-back, that's going to tell Mark Schmidt that he that for that game in that moment he's not ready and that he'll pull him and he, you you probably won't see him the rest of the game and that's what we've seen so far. And it doesn't help that he's not a great shooter either. I mean he's a shooting guard that shoots 20% from three. I mean if, I, he hasn't made a three this year. I mean his free throws. I I don't even remember him making a three free throw except for maybe one one or two times. Can't be more than 60%. He's just, he's not a good shooter and and he's a two. Like you can't be a bad shooter and be a two. That's the thing that holds him back right there. I mean. But but still, I'd I'd rather him be there, be in on defense a lot more because I mean if we can't if we can't win games on offense, we might as well uh, have more better defenders out there just to try to again force turnovers and, and and make something happen in transition. Yeah, and you know for the as for the rest of the bench, I mean you got guys like I, I, how I just mentioned, look at Ladarian Griffin not having the experience and jumping right into a program. I mean, a couple of freshman guys. I mean Saizanu uh, and Jacques Dejore, um Durosinmi, uh, all these guys haven't even seen the floor yet, uh, aside from some blowout last minutes. And you know, you, you circle back to guys like Kareem Koulibaly, who who have gotten minutes, and he, and he really uh, has been astonishing to me in the in the sense that he started 19 games in the ACC last year, right? And this is it wasn't a great pit team by any means, but you know, he filled up the stat sheet in in, in, a, bu in a bunch of different aspects. He got boards. He could put the ball in the basket t twice or three times a game. Now it, it just seems like he's playing a little bit out of position, perhaps, and you know he's not comfortable where he is on the floor. And at the same time, you know Schmidt hasn't given him consistent enough minutes to get in a rhythm. He's he's very he's a very gifted offensive big, not the best defender, but for a guy who's a good offensive big, you're gonna have to be out there for longer stretches if you want to be successful. And you know Schmidt hasn't been able to give him that opportunity. Yeah, and he's gonna be the five next year after after Oshun's gone. I mean, you know. I, I don't, you know, to your point, I think he played at, at Pitt. He was really a four there, yep. and you know, he, you come in here and, and you can really see it. Like I thought he'd, he'd, you know, I thought he'd adjust to the to the five a little bit, a little bit quicker. But I mean, it's not that he's undersized, but he doesn't have enough strength to really be in there in the five. I mean, he kind of gets bullied on defense. He can score to an extent. He has a little bit of a jump shot. Like if, you know, if it's there, he can take a 15 footer. Um, but Again, he he he's a he's a decent scorer. He has he has a good spin to the basket. He has a couple good moves around the hoop. But I mean, can't go right. I'll tell you that can't go right. Guys, yeah. lefty cannot go right. I will I will say that. But on the defensive end, I mean, he's a liability. He's a liability on defense. Mm -hmm. He can't he cannot get a stop. It's it's really tough. And you know, it's it's funny enough because, you know, you thought you had two contrasting bigs in in Oshuni and Koulibaly, right? One one great on offense, one great on defense, and Oshun obviously, like you mentioned, great dunker. He he can he can sky up, catch catch the ball, and put it down. But often, especially recently, it seems like his interior defensive presence has not been what it was his junior year, his sophomore year, and even his freshman year when he uh, fifth in the nation in blocks as a freshman. So, um, what is up with the reg uh, the regression? Excuse me, from Oshun. I mean, a senior in college, and, and you know he he's running. This high, these high post sets, we know Schmidt loves to run them around the free throw line. 
he doesn't really create much offense from there aside from dribble handoffs. But a lot, often, way too often, I see him not catching the basketball, and that just is unacceptable to me as a senior, four-year player, four-year starter. You've been playing over 30 minutes a game for your entire career, and he got butterfingers. It's 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 not it's not for me. Um, where where have you seen the regression from Oshuni? Because I think it's been on both ends. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's not blocking shots to the to, to the degree that he was in previous seasons or even earlier this year. I mean, yeah. he started off this season blocking a um, ton of shots, even though he was hurt. And, it was awesome. And I don't even I don't know if he's still hurting right now or if it's like a, a lack of a lack of interest. I guess. I mean, do I dare say that? But I, I don't really know. Like, you know, going into this season. Um, you know, ESPN and some of these different mock drafts had it as a mid to late second rounder. Same with Lofton. Exactly. Because, you know, everybody expected that after last year, Oshuni would kind of de- work on developing that offensive game. If he could kind of have a little bit of a consistent post game, then he could be a mid second rounder. But Absolutely. He, 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 he has he, the frame. He, he can't score on offense right now. He's only. He can if if he gets a wide open cut, he, he's able to score and, you know, but off the dunk. dunk or, are, yeah, off or, the dunk. Or, or a, a putback. Um, but, but, but that's really it right now. I mean,. It, it, it's a little bit concerning. I mean, now in terms of the rebounding numbers, it, that's it, that's it, really it, what concerns it me. me too. But here's my my kind of theory about it. I mean, I I, I think it's a lot of it. Uh huh. And it's a, he like you said, he's on the perimeter so much. He does a lot of these little handoffs to Jaron or, or to Kyle, and he's just not in good positions to get rebounds. And Especially so when you see, you look at his frame, and he's not the the most you know muscularly defined big in yes. the country. So I- I- if you're starting out on the perimeter, it's going to be tough for you to crash and you know get a body on somebody and be able to push them out, you know. He gets rebounds off of three-pointers. Well, exactly. you know, if if there's if someone gets to the hoop on on someone like Dom or, or Jalen, then you're automatically undersized if if it's, you know, Jalen's a guy that's 6'7", 6'8". Plays much bigger than he is, yeah, but he's going against someone that's 6'11" for a rebound. I mean, can't happen. you know, 8 times out of 10 you're not going to get it. Yep. Like it's just it's just a size in this match there while Oshun's just on the perimeter cuz that, that's what the play is. I mean, cuz he's doing a little handoff to Kyle who's shooting, you know, a, a 15 footer. Like, yeah, exactly. Just, so I, I don't know how much of that you can blame on Shun. Or versus, you know, he's just not in, in good positions for rebounds based on, on the play design. So I, I'd like to see him be a little bit more involved down low in the plays instead of just a lot of those handoffs. Because it feels like they kind of run uh, the same sets over and over where he's just on the wing and does, does that handoff he, the he, handoff to Kyle for, you know. A, a, you he, know does, just, he does no good out there. He, if, and it's funny because you see him in the pregame. Guy's shooting threes from the wing. He's shooting threes from the corner. Like, you're not allowed to do that during the game. First of all, go down low. Give me a drop step and just put the ball up and in. You haven't developed a drop step in four years of college. It's astonishing to me that he was like so highly recruited. I mean, I get it. The guy has longer arms than Mo Bamba. But you know, he just hasn't developed any offensive game his entire career. And I hate to say that because I think Oshun is a nice guy and you know a tremendous shot blocker. And you know, obviously, he can he can sky up and dunk uh, as good as any big in the country. But there just need there, there needs to be a more physically imposing presence down there, and he just ha- doesn't have it right now. And especially, like you said, keeping him out on the wing, you know, when he's not when he has no opportunity to score from out there, it doesn't do you any good. No, not at all. I mean, I don't I don't get it. Like, I mean, it's not like the Bonnies are getting totally out rebounded. Like, it, usually, the, the rebound margins kind of like you know it, pretty even to to their opponent, but uh, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the opponents have more offensive rebounds. And, uh, I mean, the second chance points and points off of turnovers, I mean, that's really the game right there. So, you know, you can't, like you said, I mean, Jalen Attaway obviously plays 
bigger than he actually is, but you can't rely on him being your number one rebounder at the basket or or Dom Welch. I mean, hey, Dom's a really good he's a really good wing, you know, rebounder, but he can't he can't box guys out that are you know four or five inches taller than him to get, mm -hmm. get a rebound every single time. So. It, exactly, and it's it's tough when you know your center is six ten. That's that that's not I wouldn't call that undersized, especially for the college level. But you know when the rest of your guys are six five and below, it creates some issues. Now obviously we talked about the bench a little bit. Linton Brown haven't seen him uh, in, in a long while. No timetable on his return for right now. Um, but it would have been nice to you know insert him back into the lineup. I mean, he was probably the best shooter off the bench, and I, I don't think that's even a question. Uh, he, we, we, I don't, I don't think we were able to see enough. I think he was just getting into his own right before he went down. But you know, it would have been nice to see him reinserted back into the lineup because you know, at the end of the day, now you're playing five guys, and he, he was that guy who could have given Welch and and Attaway and, and and Holmes a rest throughout the game. Now it's really just you have you're, you're you're obligated almost to insert Quadri in for those guys, and then you become really undersized. And if you're running that lineup with Jaron, Kyle, and, and Quadri, it, 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 the rebounding margins are not going to be in your favor. So the the more this team runs with with just five guys, the less successful you're going to be. Um, but at the same time, can anybody on the bench be trusted? That's yet to be seen. So we'll have to take a look at the matchup now with Fordham tomorrow. Now. Fordham, in the last 24 matchups, dating back to 2006, the Bonnies are 17-7 and against the Rams. Now, for a large part of that, Fordham's not been a successful Atlantic 10 team uh, in the slightest. Let's, let's, let's be frank here. Now, with the new hiring of Kyle Neptune, they are back, I guess, in the, in the mold. I mean, they're a middle-of-the-pack A-10 team as of right now. That's more than you could say about them in they're the past decade. They're already better than they were last year. Absolutely already better Miles than they were. Are, are absolutely already better than uh, you could say they were last year. Um, uh, Chube, Chube Ohams is developed into a great rebounder for them. He's been a presence replacing Joel Soriano down low. Uh, that's going to be tough. He's averaging 11 boards a game. That's going to be a guy who the Bonnies are going to key in on if they want to uh, win the rebounding margin. Um, and obviously you have some scorers out there, Darius Queensberry and a Antonio Day Jr. I mean, those guys can put up buckets from anywhere. I will say, Fordham's not a, a great three-point shooting team. And that's been the Bonnies' Achilles heel as of late. I mean, obviously Davidson, we got shellacked. Richmond, Tyler Burton look like Jason Tatum out there. And but hey, we knew Davidson would make a lot of threes, and, and I think Schmidt said after the game, if we made ten threes, you know, we knew that they're gonna hit threes. Or sorry, if if we held them to ten threes, we we would have won the game. And so I think they they, they made twelve. They had twelve, and, and we lost, lost by, by five. five. So at the end of the day, Schmidt was uh, absolutely correct. I don't know if he was trying to actually do the math there, but that was was pretty spot on from the head coach. Um, you look at this matchup, and it, it, it's really dominated by the guards. Obviously, Queensberry and Day, uh, both both in the backcourt, but. Neither of them are, are, are you know, would say knockdown three-point shooters. I mean, Queensberry's a 33.5% clip, but nobody in this Fordham lineup even shoots uh, over 36% from from beyond the arc. I mean, that's 30, 36 is a respectable clip in college, but for a guy like Kyle Rose, who's only averaging seven points a game, he's probably that one or that two or one or two three-point uh, field goal guy that you insert in the middle of a lineup to get a spark. Yeah, Rams are only really shooting you know 31% from from three all season. That's 296 in the country out of 358 D1 teams. So so like you said, not a very good shooting team. I mean, they're only a 48% shooter from two as well. So I mean, you know they win games on their defense. I mean they're the 76th best or uh, adjusted defense rather is 76 in the country. So. Um, it's going to be tough for the Bonnies to score, and it's been tough enough, you know, no matter who they play. So now, now putting up, a, putting them up against a really good defense, um, will make it 
even tougher. But these are the types of games the Bonnies win. The games that are, you know, in the mid mid low sixties, maybe like um, low seventies. Oh, I I could see this game low seventies ceiling. So like I I could I see this game. Um, maybe like like a 68-60 type of game, in my opinion. I could even see less. I could see this one being a 60-55 grinded out win because both teams are really struggling uh, shooting the basketball. But you know, any, anything can happen in the A-10. I think that we we we've realized that you know st these teams like George Washington or George Mason, they can you know they can beat the best of them. I mean, George Mason just beat um. Who, who, who Richmond? Excuse if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then they lose to uh they, they lose to LaSalle and, and GW too. Yeah, so. ex ex exactly. So the A10 is always wild. A10, uh, as John Rossi likes to put it, it always is cannibalizing itself, and uh, you know the lower tier teams can always beat the top tier, and you know there's just chaos uh, in the top four as well. Bonnie's, by the way, need to be fighting for a top four seed to be playing uh, on Friday in the Atlantic Ten tournament. Uh, would not want to see them with an early Thursday exit in, in a potential, you know, six six ten game that would uh, scare people, especially if it was a, a certain LaSalle Explorers team that gave us some trouble in early January. I know we don't we don't want an extended uh, an early Washington trip. We want it as late as possible, but for as long as possible. A exactly. We hope we make it fr uh, Friday to Sunday, and if not. Unfortunately, we we'd we'd uh, we'd have to play Thursday as well if if we can't string together uh, a good stretch here. But uh, that would be um, again. We're just hoping that this team can uh, really find their magic like they did in March last season. And then you know in the beginning of the season they they did say that we don't want to be playing our best basketball right now. We want to be playing our best basketball in March. But that time is kind of coming now. Uh, I think the clock's ticking a little bit on these Bonnies for t to start playing your best brand of basketball. And it starts tomorrow because you know Richmond was always a losable game. I, I think Fordham, uh, and, and I, I even labeled Davidson as a must-win last week. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out the way we wanted to. Richmond, the same, the same thing. But um, tomorrow, if you don't win that game, uh, I think it's a guarantee you're not getting a top four seed. Oh no, especially because then you have back-to-back -back games against St. Louis. I mean, a team that's you'd be lucky to split. If you lose tomorrow, you're lucky to split against St. Louis. St. Louis is 50th in Ken Palm. Like St. Louis is good. I mean, good I basketball team missing their best player, the Javante, Javante Perkins, out for the year, and they're still putting up great numbers and really competitive against great teams. I mean, they took Auburn to the distance. They took I Iona to the distance. I mean, they, they, I know Iona's a MAC team, but they're they're the cream of the crop down there uh, in the Metro Atlantic. So. St. Louis is a very competitive team, but we do have the Rams tomorrow. Uh, it, it, it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, I want to ask you, who do you think is going to be the guy tomorrow? Because it seems like there's a new new narrative every game with, with, with each Bonnie's game. Now, typically, you're going to get the consistency from Jalen Attaway, but you're not always getting the same from Don Welch, especially. You're not, you're not always getting the same uh, consistency from Jaron Holmes. Uh, Kyle Lofton has been... As inconsistent as uh, as he's been in his entire career this season, I mean he's been the definition of you know you know what you're getting every night. Now I mean with with, with this season the way it's going, I know last year he didn't shoot threes particularly well, but now you don't even know if he if he's going to hit twos. So this this team just really struggles with consistency. And tomorrow you're going to have to find somebody that's going to be able to take over a basketball game. Nate, do you have any uh, thoughts on who that might be? I'd like to say maybe Kyle Lofton will. Uh um, we'll, we'll be able to kind of break through and, um, and and finally have a have a big game. He's due for one, but you know I also kind of want to stick with a little bit uh, my pick, if you will, from from earlier when in, in this segment talking about Quadri Adams. I mean, if he gets an opportunity, I feel like he, he could be the type of guy to again go in there, maybe get three steals, get some transition buckets, um, really spark that fire because he does. He doesn't always do things that show up in the box score. Mm -hmm. he, he he makes winning plays though. Yeah. So if he can make some of those winning plays and and, and get the Riley Center 
uh, fans on their feet, then I think that bodes well for the Bonnies tomorrow against uh, against the Rams. I absolutely agree. And I think tomorrow, like, and you mentioned Quadri, I think tomorrow's a great opportunity to get some bench guys some minutes against a lower-level A10 a a team. I know they couldn't get any minutes against a team like LaSalle because, you know, the, the, we were down nine the whole game and somehow forced that game into overtime. But... Tomorrow, I mean, you're on your home floor. You should be. You've taken care of Fordham. I mean, 75% of the time over the past 15 years. So, tomorrow should be a typical cakewalk. Bonnie's win, but you know, the, we've not been able to say that about any game this season. I mean, St. Joe's. They did kind of control end to end, but it, they never really stretched that lead far enough. I don't think they've aside from VCU, which is really a an odd, you know game right in the middle of our schedule where we played up to our potential. We played like we did in the Charleston Classic Championship. Other than that, we have not been able to build a sustainable lead on any team throughout conference play. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the Bonnies have only maximized their potential this year for for I, for five halves of basketball. The both two twice two both both halves against Marquette, both halves against VCU and the second half against Clemson. I was going to say the same That's thing. It. I mean, you could argue that, that they played well end to end against Boise State, but they weren't putting in consistent baskets. That was a, a game one on their defense. And, and that's when Boise State was struggling a bit, too. I mean, that was before they won 14. Yeah, we're, we're really lucky they won 14 Boise in a row. State, Boise State was 1-3, and three and they weren't supposed to be really contenders in that conference. They yeah. were supposed to be kind of middle of the road. So, I mean, that was now they're at the, the top. That's before they got they got good, if you will. So, I mean, I, I didn't think they played great in that game, in, in my opinion. But they've only played five good halves of basketball, in my opinion, this year. Uh, yeah, they the Bonnies have not been any sort of consistent at all this season. They need to, you know, I, I know that they're tired of running the same sets over and over again, but you just got to, yeah, you, you do have to mix it up. And I know it's Mark Schmidt calling the plays from the sideline, but you, you got to be able to mix it up. You, you can't just keep doing the dribble handoff the entire game and hope that you, one of your players can curl off a screen and, and get to the rack because that's not consistent. I mean, that's not... Um, basketball that that, will, that, that that's going to work all game long. They're eventually going to adjust to your sets. Got to run more of these back cuts. Got to run more, you know, baseline alley-oops. I, I, this team was so successful with, with, with sets like that last year and then finding the easiest buckets possible when everybody's working in unison. The, the chemistry, I, I, I don't understand, how has regressed so mightily um, from last season to this for a, a group of five that have played essentially every minute together, it, it boggles my mind. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it, but uh, hopefully they can maybe get back on the right track starting tomorrow because the big stretch is now, uh, is now coming. It's up here. For, it's uh, absolutely it's here. February. It's yeah, absolutely it's go time. Here. Yep, hundred percent. Time to peak. Now, I want to, I want to wrap up the Bonnie's talk with a little score prediction. Nate, tomorrow, Bonnie's 7 p.m. Eastern, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Fordham Rams traveling to the Riley Center. Give me a score prediction, and who's your winner? 68-50 Bonnies. I, I okay, you think Bonnies in a route tomorrow. I, I don't think they play great tomorrow, but they play... Uh, Enough. They, they take a good step in the right direction tomorrow. Yep, That's my opinion. Yep. Uh, I, I can... I, I'm, I'm going to be along those same lines. I don't know if uh, the Bonnies are going to put up 70 tomorrow, but I think, uh, I think I'm going to go 65-54 uh, victory. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be in question, the, the result of the game, but I, I do think that Fordham has talented enough scorers to be able to put the ball in the basket in the rally center for a crowd that I don't think will be a, as uh, lively as, as some rally, rally center alumni uh, are used to. I mean, you look at last week, Davidson, Tuesday game. No, it, it, there were so many empty seats. I couldn't believe my I couldn't believe my eyes. Well, there was a team that was just ranked too. Like they'd been in the this would have been up until the day before I mean, that if, game. I mean, if VCU hadn't beaten them the day before, they'd be ranked, and that would have been a game worthy of a court storming had we won it. If they if they had a number next to their name, they didn't obviously, but still, uh, certain 
certain restrictions at, 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 in the Riley Center uh, are definitely taking a hit to uh, to attendance levels. I, I will say that, and I'll, and I'll leave it at that. I'll, I'll go 65, uh, 54 Bonnies. You had 68, 50 Bonnies, and that's a that's a score prediction. Now we'll kick things over to uh, another aspect of college basketball. We're watching a lot of college hoops on our flights uh, to Los Angeles. And we're just going to go through a quick rundown of the, of the this week's new AP poll. Uh, obviously, Auburn remaining at number one, Gonzaga at number two. No surprises there. But Fordham, uh, not for Fordham, Fordham in the AP rankings. Imagine that. No, Purdue back in the number three spot. They look like a, a easy, easy national championship contender. Arizona at four, Kentucky at five, uh, Houston at six, Duke seven, Kansas eight, Texas Tech nine, who I'm really high on, and Baylor ten. I will say one more outside of the top ten. Providence. They are going through a dream season. Ed Cooley, probably the front runner for national coach of the year this season. Nate. Any, anything sticking out from college basketball this past weekend that's that's caught your eye? I mean, I think Providence should be higher. I mean, they're, they're, I agree. They, they're a two-loss team in a, in a power conference, and they're only 11th. People, I mean, people like to say that it, the Big East isn't a power conference. It's absolutely a power it, conference. And this isn't a diss to Texas Tech because Texas Tech is having a great year, but at 18-5, they, they should not be ahead of Providence at 22. 100% agree. But I, I believe that, you know, it's funny because they did beat Texas Tech earlier in the season. But, I mean, now... Texas Tech, obviously, undefeated at home. One of the best environments this season in college basketball in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, that team can really, really grind out wins, and they don't have to be shooting super hot to do it. They're uh, one of those defensive teams that you know you don't you don't want to match up with, especially when you're on the road. So uh, that that's been a team that's really stuck out to me. But wh who really vaulted themselves in a national championship contention uh, as of? Uh, as of the past few days, and I know they got blown out at home by Kentucky, but the Kansas Jayhawks, man, they really stuck it to Baylor. Baylor had everybody available um, on Saturday, and they just got shellacked in Allen Fieldhouse. R run amok, this, this, this Kansas team had, uh, and you just look at like a guy like Oji Abaji, who's, who's a National Player of the Year contender. He can score from all three levels, and, and you, you can't defend against guys like that. I mean, Kansas can come at you from so many different ways. They can shoot the three. They can drive the ball. And, you know, they, they can just attack you from everywhere. So that's my team that I think has really vaulted itself in the national championship contention. But I think Providence has a great run at it as well. So, I mean, college hoops, season goes on. We, we, we love talking it. We're going to keep following it. But, hey, we're at the Super Bowl. It's going to be more football-centric talk as the week goes on. And, obviously, more guests as well. Couldn't really fill up uh, too much time today as, you know, the people are still arriving into Radio Row and, and not, not too much is going on yet, but as the week goes on, things a little bit will of a quieter today here. Absolutely, a little bit of a quieter today. Things will heat up as the week goes on, but that'll that'll do it from us, Nathan Solomon and Tyler Smith. It's been the director's cut. We have a couple more days. Stay tuned for all of our shows from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Monday through Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Tuesday 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on WSBU 88.3. The Buzz. It's been a director's cut. Signing off. See you tomorrow.
watch me diamond shining, looking like I'm Rob Liberace. It's all good from Diego to the Bay. Your city is the bomb if your city making pain. Throw up a finger if you feel the same way. Straight putting it down for California. 